Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And you guys are going to love, love, love the guest I have on today. So stay with me. I'll be right back. want to welcome Richard to the show. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Ken. It's an honor to be here. I'm man, I'm honored to have you here. Jeez. So I I I don't I mean I know a little bit about your background and story. I can't wait to hear the whole story. So um, you know, I started this a couple years ago to help people get unstuck in life. And I think, you know, we've all been there. Um and I think by hearing other people's stories, it, it helps, it helps us, you know, and maybe it's a little selfish on my part. <laughs> it helps me more than anything, I think. So you get Richard, free coaching every day. It's, it's, that's right. And I don't have to pay for it. It's amazing. So, so um, let's, let's start though with where, where you were born and raised. Where do you all begin for you? I was born and raised in the ag uh, area of Central California. Um, you know, people had a mix of like 100 miles east of San Francisco in the San Joaquin Valley and the foothills below Yosemite. Wow. You know, I've, ne- I've been in parts of California. I've, ne- I have always wanted to go into the Yosemite area. Yeah, well, eighth one of the world, uh, or one of the seven wonders of the world, I guess. Uh, Yosemite's pretty ec- epic. I I probably take it for granted because I spent a great deal of time there fishing and backpacking as a kid and skiing. And so uh, this is where I grew up. I live in Lanai, Hawaii full-time, but I still have my uh, family ranch uh, here in California. And that's where I am right now for the moment. Now, do you have when you say ranch? Does that include horses? Well, it would if I would take care of them and probably other <laughs> animals. But <laughs> it's just a bunch of trees and grass and rocks to look at, and no maintenance, so no animals. <laughs> Coyotes, turkeys, bobcats, and deer. Oh my gosh! It sounds like a nice place. So, so you you grew up out in that area? Is that I? I assume you went to high school and all that out, out in that area. Well, they had a high school and I was enrolled. <laughs> uh, but I really kind of preferred to ski. Yeah. And so I barely got out of high school, not because I'm stupid, but 1.9 GPA. Wow. So you can imagine the Ivory League school I attended, if you want to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Harvard wanted you bad, it sounds like. Yeah, that'd be not. <laughs> so if you if you get a 1.9 GPA from Merced High School, you're going to end up working back in agriculture, which is the community there. And that's farming, cattle, dairies, chicken. 
chickens, turkeys, something. And I ended up working at Foster Farms, which is the largest single poultry processing plant in the world, by the way. Wow. And what I did was cut chickens up as they flew past me on the production line. And I got so good at it that they promoted me to teach other people how to do it. And <laughs> how to cut of, chickens up. Exactly. They're hanging by their feet. You know, they're hanging by their <laughs> ankles upside down and they're like, they're already dead and they're plucked and gutted and frozen <laughs> and they're hanging like this. And they go by you on a production line at 38 BPM, 38 BPM. <laughs> We'll find out if anybody on your broadcast knows what BPM stands for. BPM? Yeah, they don't. Birds per minute. <laughs> so, if you work in a chicken plant, your life oh is God. all about BPM, 38 wow. BPM, and you either work 450 minutes or 530 minutes a day because chicken people live in minutes because they just can't hardly wait until the 450th minute so they can get wow. out of there. And I would wow. have actually retired, uh, Ken. I had my whole life plan <laughs> set up to, I, it's kind of crazy, but I actually loved the chicken plant. I loved the people there. I loved the work. I don't know. I don't know why, but I did. And I had a wow. plan. I was going to be there for 40 years and I would have actually just retired about four years ago from the chicken plant had not, I had a curveball thrown well, at me. So, okay. So I think we just lost literally every vegan that um, watches my show. <laughs> and, I, and I'm vegan. <laughs> are, no, you're well, not. I'm are vegan. you? Well, I am vegan, uh, but only as an experiment. But then a buddy of mine came to visit me at the ranch last week, and he brought award-winning fresh lamb chops from a farm down the road. So I lost it. I fell off the wagon. The next day I had to, like, crawl back on it. <laughs> so I'm not like a vegan that's going to write a book or – do a podcast on veganism. I'm just oh my god, that is working so on managing managing my uh, vital signs, which <laughs> I think might do better on veganism. I don't know. Oh I watched that documentary and became a vegan. So, so you you um, <laughs> that is funny, man. So you got into and and I'm starting. It's starting to make sense to me why you experienced unbelievable success in what you eventually got into. It's uh, it's starting. It's starting to click for me. Um, but but let's 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 talk about the curveball. So here you are chopping chopping thirty eight chickens per minute, training other. I mean, it sounds like. Is is like some high level stuff. It was. So, I, I, had, I had a whole department of people I had to teach how to do that. It was not. This was not low blue collar stuff. I was. I actually my hard hat was white. <laughs> so I learned later that made me a white collar worker. Oh my god! 
So okay, well, so so we'll, we'll call you a a high level C level um, chicken plant dude, um, and 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 so you are you're chopping up thirty eight chickens per. That is insane. But anyway, so you had a curveball. Let's talk about the curveball. Well, my mentor at the chicken plant was the guy who ran. Uh, the part of the chicken plant that I worked in, which is you cut everything up and put them in the yellow trays. And his name is Mike Hoyt, and he's he's a very good friend of mine today. And he was kind of my mentor. I was like two levels, three levels below him, but he was my mentor at the ch chicken plant. And he called me in one day and he said, hey, bad news, admin. So it's, <laughs> you know, maybe hard to visualize, but the plant is here. And everybody in the plant they have chicken guts and fat and everything stuck all over them and feathers and they stink and they got, they wear rubber boots and rubber gloves and that's the plant. And across the parking lot is the admin building and everybody who works in admin building wears street clothes and they don't ever get dirty. And so he said, admin has decided company wide at Foster Farms, you cannot advance past the supervisor position white hat without a four-year college degree and i was a supervisor i was working 60 hours a week making 1200 bucks a month and i wanted to be a superintendent and then a whatever the next i wanted to be at all right and admin just took it away they just with one uh, stroke of the pen they just eliminated my career at the plant wow and so with every you adversity hoping, comes. You were you were hoping to get to twenty four hundred bucks a month. <laughs> well, actually, the most inspiring thing about Mike Hoyt's job, and this was nineteen seventy four, is yeah. he drove a company car, which was oh. a blue Mustang two. Do you remember those in nineteen seventy four? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably. It was probably like a $1,200 car, but I was like gaga over the blue Mustang too. <laughs> Throw on some Zeppelin, drive around in the company Mustang, right? So, so, exactly. so you, um, so this happened and it, it, when they told you that, did you like start no, throwing yep. chickens? <laughs> no, I was just sucker punched. I, di I didn't know. Um, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I even, I thought about like going back to college and I just got ill and I just, I didn't know what to do. And, you know, so context was like a month or two before this happened, actually the same guy that got me the job at the chicken plant, he got me the job. He stayed for about a year and then he quit and went to work at the Ragu spaghetti sauce factory which was a better deal. And so he called me up one day while I'm working at the chicken plant. He starts screaming at me like, hey, you have to come to this meeting. We're going to make a lot of money. Uh, you know, show up. Don't be late. A lot of money. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of strange. So I did, I really did work 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. And I was salary. So I only made $1,200 a month. I worked my nails to the bone. And wow. so you would think 
that if somebody called me up and said, hey, I got an opportunity for you to make a lot of money that I would respond accordingly, but I didn't, I wasn't interested. And I thought a lot in the last 40 years about as part of the psychology of objections, um, why do people say no to opportunity? And it's for me, it was really simple. It's not that I didn't want to earn more money. It's, it's that the idea of going somewhere where I wasn't comfortable, I was a moderate fish in a small pond of chickens, right? So <laughs> I felt comfortable going to the plant every day, right? Everybody knew me. I had a little bit of status. You know, I could swagger a tiny bit in my rubber boots and my <laughs> smock. But when he said, hey, come to this meeting, business meeting, people talking about making a lot of money, the only thing I could think about is, uh, that's, that's scary, right? I, I don't know how to talk to those people. I don't, that's, that's a small microscopic fish in an ocean. And so I just kept saying no. And then of course, as you might expect, once, as Mike Tyson says, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Mike Tyson's, but I love that quote. Uh, you know, I just happened to go by his house a few weeks later, and now all of a sudden the game has changed for me. So I actually considered doing something that was completely bizarre for me and out of my comfort zone and scary and awkward. And I'll keep pausing so that you can guide the interview because well, I, I, I. I, I am a fan of Mike Tyson. I mean, I would never want to get in the ring with him ever. That would be dumb on my part. But I've done dumber yeah. things, I think. But but so so you you uh I, I love the way this story's going, man. I, I just let it roll if it's rolling. So so here you are now. You've been punched in the face um with the you're not ever going any further. You are a um scholarly young lad um at <laughs> working at working at the chicken plant i'm kidding i mean I, I i didn't even graduate high school so you you beat me there so wow. so um you so you you said yeah this uh, if i can't go any further then then we got to we got to look at other things yeah, I mean, it just all it really did was open me to looking at what he was doing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I looked the first time and my response was, this is bizarre. I don't understand this at all. Uh, and for viewers, it was network marketing or multi-level marketing or some people call it a pyramid scheme, whatever you want to call it. It is a business model. It's been around since 1946. It's $200 yeah. billion dollar a year industry with a hundred million people in it. So it's controversial, but it is legit. And, yeah. but I never heard about it. I didn't understand anything about it. And I hated selling and all of that kind of stuff. And I wasn't comfortable with people. You know, one of the reasons I liked the chicken plant is everybody spoke Spanish and Portuguese. And <laughs> um, so right, I didn't really have to talk to people too much. But I didn't have anything else to do. And so I just kept looking, you know, and like anything else, anything we're uncomfortable with, well, if we keep looking, we keep, you know, maybe digging in a little bit. 
over a period of time, we gain a little bit more comfort and the more knowledge yeah. we get more comfort. Right. And so I spent three weeks looking and, you know, I'm sure it was like, you know, group herd mentality. They sucked me in. Right. I'm, I'm sure they, they influenced me, but about three weeks later, I said, Oh my gosh, I'm all in. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to sell this gasoline additive. Um, and is that I'm what it was? Yeah, it was a it was a product which Ken, I still use it today in everything that burns gasoline that I own: boats, cars, jet skis, ATVs, chainsaws. Um, really? Yep. Every day. Every day. And there's not very many products in any business, but not very many in network marketing that have that kind of staying power, but. Uh, there's about 20 companies in, in the network marketing profession that have been around for 30, 40, 50, 60 years that have totally legit products. Yeah. And, and if you build a business with those products, you get paid forever for your entire life and your kid's life and your grandkid's life. And so anyway, that's what I did. I did horribly at it, as you might expect, because I brought this angry, disenfranchised chicken kind of attitude to... <laughs> I mean, if you can imagine the kid that doesn't go to high school and my dad went to Stanford and my mom graduated from Mills. So I came oh, from a highly educated family, but I was just a rebel, right? So they put me in this sales system and everything they told me to do, I basically said, yeah, I'll figure out how to do it my way, right? I was right. pretty much a my way, my way guy. And so... Uh, you know, as Zig Ziglar says, I see, you know, you're a friend of his too. I, I, as he says, you know, I, be, I became a really good salesperson actually over that two and a half years. I sold my house. I sold both my cars, which might be a liberal interpretation of selling my cars. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to sell them. And then I went out in the driveway one morning and they weren't there. So I guess I sold them. <laughs> Not sure. I sold everything I owned. I hit. I hate it when that happens. By the way. Oh yeah, it's horrible. You gotta, you gotta do the walk. the walk of shame is to go to the towing company to get your box of personal crap, right? Oh. That's the total walk of shame. I'm high. I'm here to get my personal possessions. <laughs> I had a Mercedes repossessed one night, and I called the police because I thought somebody stole it. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, I had to hit rock bottom. And, you know, I guess this is a lesson for people. You know, maybe you have to hit rock bottom. If you do, I don't know, just go into full-on sabotage mode. Get there as quick as you can so you can bounce off the bottom. Because if yeah. you resist, then you're going to suffer for a long time. And I resisted. I suffered for two and a half years. And then I just, I kind of had an epiphany from being at the bottom. So bottom for me, I was driving a borrowed car living in a studio apartment in Des Moines, Iowa. I had I was making about $300 a month, and I'd been full-time selling this gasoline additive for two and a half years, and I'm supposed to build a sales organization, recruit people, build a team, all that kind of stuff. And I was just horrible. And and hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. How did you go from you're in and somebody is that you're not in the Bay Area, right? I don't know that. I don't know. No, California. I'm in Central California. How did I go? How did you go How end up get, in Des Moines? Well, I just 
I kept, I failed my way forward. I'm a pioneer in the whole failure way forward <laughs> concept. So I failed in Central California, and oh. somebody said move to somebody said move to Tucson, Arizona. There's great opportunity there. I failed in Tucson, Arizona, which also resulted in having no car. So my sister said, come to El Paso, Texas. You can live on my couch. And she was a flight attendant. So when she flew, I drove the wheels off her car, <laughs> trying to make money. And then I, the president of the company came and did a, a guest speaking at an event I did. And it was in Albuquerque, and I took a Greyhound bus from El Paso to Albuquerque, and I asked him to pick me up at the Greyhound bus depot. And I was like supposedly one of his up-and-coming losers. And <laughs> so he picked me up at the Greyhound bus depot, and he felt so sorry for me. He loaned me a car, but he said, you got to get out of here. There's nothing happening here. He said, go to Iowa. Iowa's the new frontier. We need people in Iowa. So I took his oh, borrowed car. And I went to Des Moines and he helped me rent a studio apartment. And wow. that's where I made it. And what happened in Des Moines, Ken, is I just, I had an integrity crisis or epiphany, if you will. I had a crisis for two and a half years. I was telling everybody what to do. Oh, you need yeah. to read, think and grow rich, magic and believing, magic and think and live. You need to listen to all these tapes. You need to write your goals down. They got to be specific and measurable and, you know, clear and all, all, you know, I had the whole wrap down. I could teach anybody how to do anything I wasn't doing. And so I, I finally had an epiphany and said, you know what? This isn't getting any better. Maybe. Maybe I should just do what I'm teaching other people to do. And it was just a, it was like a real grinding feeling, you know, like, like launching a gear that was all locked up and rusted. Yeah. It was difficult, but I started small and simple. I just listened to an audio tape called the power of goal setting by Paul J. Meyer. He, uh, he founded the success motivation Institute in Waco, Texas. And I, wow. I listened to this audio tape 10, 15, 20 times a day for a month or two. And it just changed my attitude. Not, not maybe a lot, but just enough. And if you want, I'll fast forward and tell you the rest of the story so we can get on to substance. But well, this, um, dude, so here's how this is this is substance, by the way. This is okay. real substance. Because this is a uh, look, yeah. I, I, God, I can relate to this so much. I can tell, like, I did some of the same exact stuff. I spent a month in Des Moines, Iowa, in corporate training once, and, and it felt like a year. And, huh? Yeah. It did. Yeah. I was like, I, what in God's name am I supposed to do after work? Like, there's nothing. <laughs> Let's go cow tipping. Anyway, so, um, I'm kidding. Des Moines okay, but it's just not a, it's just not a, yeah. Anyway, so that's yeah. where you had the epiphany that maybe if I start doing what I tell everybody else to do, I could stop making 300 bucks a month and do better. Yeah, but I really had to be forced into that corner. Nobody could tell me that. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was not coachable. Um. I just, I had to be boxed in. I just, I had to just keep bloodying my nose as I beat my head against the wall. 
And yeah, I guess, you know, sooner or later, that's what it takes. And so I started listening to this audio tape and, uh, you know, something, a concept that I teach is, you know, part of being self-motivated is that when circumstances are presented to us, which circumstances come at us, you know, like the wind, like dust, like snowflakes in a storm or, or raindrops in a storm. I mean, circumstances are just fired at us point blank for our entire life. And we don't really control the circumstances that much, but we control what we do with them. And yeah. highly motivated, self-motivated people tend to take a circumstance and do what I call make up creative interpretations, which are stories that we just make up. Green light stories. And green light stories are the circumstance comes at you and what you make up about it is, I can make this work. I can turn this into alignment with my goals, with what I want. I can use this as an asset, as a magic carpet ride. I can, I can ride this wave as opposed to getting crushed by it. And that's a green light vision. And then there are yellow light visions, which the same circumstance might come to somebody who's kind of motivated sometimes, but not usually and off and on. That's kind of a pump the brakes, yellow light vision. And that person will make up a different story about the same circumstance, which is, yeah, maybe I want to. I, I kind of lean in. I kind of lurch. But then, oh, wait, going too fast. You know, you've ridden with, you've ridden with the person in the car. <laughs> They're like white and gold, and every time they go around a turn, they're like hitting the brakes. <laughs> Whoa, easy, big fella. Let's, how about I get out and walk, right? And then there's red light people that it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. They got the emergency brake on, and they got their, their leg fully extended into the brake. They're not going anywhere, no matter what comes at them. And these are all stories we make up. So I say my... 30 or 42 and a half year career, which is not even remotely as successful as almost everyone else I know. <laughs> I am a far cry from the chicken plant. Yeah. And so it all happened uh, in one day and it all happened in about two minutes and separated two different conversations. So a guy called me and wanted more product. He wanted another bottle of this gasoline added, which sold for $15. I was in Des Moines. He was in Cedar Rapids, two and a half hours away. And this is in the middle of an ice storm in February in Iowa. You live there. I don't know if you were there in the winter. But in an ice storm in February, you can go down the freeway at 60 miles an hour and just mash the gas pedal and spin your tires. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like an ice break, right? Yeah. And so he wanted a $15 bottle of product. He's two and a half hours away. Now, if I would have still had the red light or yellow light vision, I would have made up something about that circumstance, that opportunity that would have sounded like, well, I'm going to drive all the way there and he's just going to buy a bottle of product and I make five bucks, which is going to cover my gas and I lose a whole day. Or I'm yeah. going to drive all the way there and he's not going to show up. Or... Um, you know, something like that. Like it's not, I would have made up a story that it's not worth it. It's not going to work out. But instead, because I had conditioned my mind and my heart and my body and my spirit and, and everything, I just made up something different. Motivated people make up something different. Sometimes people think that 
uh, people get motivated because they get a positive circumstance. Well, you can't right. wait for positive circumstances, right? You no. gotta, you gotta convert all circumstances. And so I converted this one to sound like this, and I made this up just like an instant. I made up if I drive two and a half hours in an ice storm, he's going to honor that by showing up. I just made that up. It's not necessarily mm. true. I made it up. I also made up that if I got there to 11.45 in the morning, he'd offer to buy me lunch. <laughs> and I also made up that if I, I got an hour to spend with him at lunch, that somewhere in that conversation, I'd have an opportunity to upgrade him off a bottle. Maybe a case. Maybe I could even recruit him. So I get in my car. I drive to Des Moines, Iowa. I practice mashing the gas pedal and spinning the tires going down the freeway. I think that's pretty funny. I pull into the village inn in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's snowing. It's miserable. It's cold. I walk in the lobby. There's this guy that looks like he's Jerry. I say, you Jerry? He says, yes. He says, I can't believe you drove all the way here in this weather. And I don't remember what I said to that. But then he said, you want to have lunch? And I said, wow. sure. And we sat in a booth at the Village Inn. And I'm asking him about his life. He's the he's, He still lives in Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, by the way. I just saw him last year. Wow. Uh he was the uh, manager of the local telephone company, so he knew everyone in town. Everybody knew him. He was on TV all the time. He was kind of a business celebrity, but he wasn't in business. He was an employee. And I don't know what he made back then. This was 1979. But whatever he made, he wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going to double or triple or quadruple his income ever. And he desperately wanted to. So he mm. was an entrepreneur stuck in a job yeah. and halfway through lunch, halfway through lunch, I deployed the other minute that made my career. So remember I'm making $300 a month and I'm full time. Real. <laughs> and so he asked me, he says, is there any money in this? And I didn't even hesitate, Ken. I looked him right in the eye and I said, blow your mind. And some people say, well, you lied to him. I said, no, I didn't. If I'd have told him I was full time for the last two and a half years and I was making 300 bucks a month, I think that would blow his mind. <laughs> and I also think if I, told him, if I told him how much money my business partners were making, my mentors were making, who yeah. also came out of nothing and were making 10 grand a month in this opportunity, that would blow his mind too. Right. And anyway, Jerry got in my business and he went nuts. And then I found three more people like him. And by the time I was 28 years old, Ken, I had 30,000 people on my sales team. I was making $40,000 a month. I was teaching two and three day transformational workshops. A few, year, few years later, I was on the cover of Success Magazine with my company. But, you know, and all kinds of great things have happened to me since. Yeah. But it all came from one creative interpretation. It all came from enrolling Jerry Schaub and my, my sales team. Uh, you know, I was a two at best on a scale of one to ten. He was a ten. Wow. But if he's on my sales team, 
the way I added it up, that makes me a 12. <laughs> right? So I've done a lot of great things since then, but it all happened in Des Moines, Iowa, driving a borrowed car where wow. I made up a story, converting a circumstance into an asset. Wow. I don't even know what to ask you next. That is mind blowing. So, so you, you, uh, where did you get the idea to, to reframe this situation? You know, you literally, I, you reframed your circumstance. Yeah, but I didn't do it consciously, Ken. I, I believe and I, I teach that creative interpretations are a byproduct of being self-motivated. Mm. And self-motivation is a state of being. It's an energy in our body where we create alignment with our goals. So, for example, I wanted to earn $10,000 a month. That was kind of the holy grail income level in, in that opportunity. I wanted to earn it. But one of the distinctions I learned in my journey of success is what you and I want desire, even a white hot burning desire, as Napoleon Hill said, that doesn't have anything to do with success. I mean, how many people do you know that have wanted to be skinny and rich their entire life and they're not any closer to it today than they were 40 years ago? In fact, they might have backslid a little bit, right? It doesn't have anything to do with desire. Desire points us in a direction, but motivation is the energetic alignment with that goal with that objective and motivation is the story mm. so for example when i'm coaching, when i'm coaching people and they have like something they're supposed to do like you know hey, I'm, I'm i'm gonna do this every day i'm gonna work out every day or i'm gonna eat right every day or i'm gonna talk to one or two people every day in new business development and i'm coaching them and they're like well I, i'm tired i don't have time I, i'm trying i'm trying to do it I, oh but i oh, you know like that right <laughs> Well, that's this state of not motivated. Doesn't matter what they want. And right. here's how here's how fast you can demonstrate motivation means is makes the it's the difference maker. If I say, hey, I know that's really hard and you've been trying and you've been struggling with it, and I know you didn't get it done today, but if I gave you a thousand dollars, would you do it tomorrow? Like your little 30-minute workout that you can't figure out how to do. If I gave you a thousand dollars, would you do it tomorrow? Well, yeah, of course. Right. Wow. And in, in business development, coaching salespeople, where how salespeople epitomize the funk of new business development, they epitomize it with these three rhetorical questions. And I'm making fun of them. <laughs> well, but who do I talk to? Who do I talk to? And then, you know, they're like whack-a-mole. So you can spend two days teaching them who to talk to, right? right. But once, once you get that one down, then they say, well, what do I say to them? And then you can spend another two days whacking that mole down. And then they'll just say, well, what do I do if they say no? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is all state of being. And... These are unmotivated people. They're actually motivated to stay where they are. They got their foot nailed to first place base. They'll never steal second. And wow. so, you know, what I tell people is, uh, okay, uh, how about um, 
I'll give you $1,000 a day if you talk to two new people about your product or your service or whatever you're selling. You're a real estate agent? I'll give you $1,000 a day if you have two new conversations a day with prospects. Now do you know who to talk to? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now do you know what to say? Now do you know what to do if they say no? Instantly, those three funk rhetorical questions vanish. Why? Well, you just convinced me that the work is worth it. And that's all motivation. It's a story, right? I changed the story. The story is you don't have to earn a commission and build up your worth and have delayed gratification. I'm going to pay you instantly just for doing what you need to do to build your business. And that just that's a story change. And of course, People are so hardwired to believe a company tells you they'll pay you $1,000 a day, they will, even though a lot of them don't, even though they give you a contract for it. But we're just right. hardwired to believe that versus if I say, hey, if you'll talk to two people a day for a couple of years in your third year, you'll be making two, three dollars $300,000 a year. People don't believe that model. Right. So they don't get motivated by it. It's all motivation. And in 1995, and, and I... Go ahead. You're talking, so you're talking about the the network marketing model, um, which is a fantastic model. In fact, my my client and friend Jennifer is on here, and she's the number one earner in her network marketing company, and has been for six years. Um, which one? Is um, ID Life. I know them well. Great yeah, company. Jennifer Moran. Jennifer Moran, she's awesome. She's amazing. Um, it applies so, to everything. I, mean, I actually wasn't talking about network marketing. It applies to real estate, mortgages, any anything. If you want to get fit, you got to do something every day, right? You got to you got to compound consistency, as I say. You got to rack up, you know, two, three, four hundred repetitions days in yep. a row. You know, if you want to if you want to reinvent the relationship with your spouse. You just got to start saying the right things, but you can't say them once a month. You got to right. say them every day for like two or three months and bam, everything changes. Fitness, relationships, business development. It's all yeah. getting in the right actions and making the, the funk stories vanish, which is how you do that is you, you just create new stories. And, you know, the, I, I believe that is what the, the innate genius of human beings are. If you look at the planet, you know, you look at every animal on the planet, they're pretty much where they were a million years ago. And yeah. you look at, if you look at everything that's created on the planet, good and bad, what created that? Human beings. And it's because we've been given the gift of creative thought. We don't have to, we don't have to repeat every action out of instinct we can create a course of action by creating thought. That's the gift. And we can debate how and where we got it, but you can't debate that we have it. And most people are never taught to use it. And I've spent the last, I mean, a big part of my career in network marketing for cash flow, but for impact, I've spent the last 40 years coaching people on that gift. So, so what if you have somebody that's maybe been stuck at a six figure level. 
couple hundred grand a year, 150 grand a year, and they feel like they are doing as much as they can do. How did, how, how would you coach somebody to, to get out of that? Cause that, that, you know, I mean, if you're making a couple hundred grand a year, you're in a, you're in a pretty high percentage of, of, of income earners in the world. So, you know, how do you coach somebody to get to seven figures a year? Like get out of that, that mentality of I make 200 grand a year. You get into their story. So every, everybody has a, I mean, we have a story about the last prospect we saw on a list. We have a story about the relationship with our spouse and could it get better? How could it get better? We have a story about our fitness and we also have a story about our worthiness, our own worthiness. So, you know, I just add, I'm, I'm a coach of questions. I'm not a mentor. I'm not an advisor. I've been wrong way more than I've been right. So I'm yeah. like reticent to tell people what to do. Um, but I'm pretty gifted at asking questions and yeah. listening for truth. And so I just ask questions that can uncover what's the block. So one of the most common blocks for people that are stuck at 200 grand a year and want to go to 2 million a year is people that are at 200 grand a year tended to use the me motivation to get there. The me, my, my, me motivation. My car, my house, my clothes, my trips, my watch, right? All of that kind of stuff. And you know what people learn after a while is, uh, duh, I guess people have been saying it for a thousand years, money doesn't buy happiness. And it can certainly amplify it, right? I'd rather have it than not, but it doesn't direct mind buy it. And so people that are empty inside, they're just emptier at $200,000 a year. And so they lose their motivation. In the, in, it's, it's subtle. They don't really understand why, but the simple hack is, hey, how about let's find something that you could be passionate about where 200 grand is not enough. Right. So what if you what if you take on like one of the one of the models that so inspires me about entrepreneurism is when a company owner looks at their staff, they look at their employees or their partners or their vendors and they think, okay, maybe I'm making a million dollars a year as a company owner. How can I help the people that helped me get there live their dream? So what if I take my motivation and I bring bring a tribe in, bring a a village in and I start to take on other people's goals and visions. And so now I have a responsibility that's bigger than me that can get you to seven figures taking on a cause, you know, there's a million of them, but you know, what if your passion was um, the foster care community? I mean, there's like, I don't know, like a half a million kids in our country that are in the foster, which is an abusive, horrible system, right? Yeah. Yeah. well, and there's a lot of, you know, you could, there's all kinds of causes like that. But when you take on a cause, you can't make too much money. So when it comes to people's self-esteem, what happens is when they're me, me, me motivated, they quickly, quickly their income up, up. You hear that echo or is it just? Uh, yeah, I think I did a second, but I think it's gone now. I think. Okay. They bring their up, 
their income up quickly to their level of self-esteem and they basically it's an internal peter principle yeah and so what you want to do is punch holes in that and you can do it by coaching them to reinvent their self-esteem to expand their worthiness you can do it by having them take on a cause where they can't earn too much money like you could earn a million dollars a month and if your cause is homelessness you don't even scratch the scratch right right so right and if you, if you take on other people you, you can't ever earn too much money but if it's just you and you're in your house you quickly make too much money and so i just coach people to reinvent that bubble of their story about them and why they're doing this and what they want out of it and who's going to benefit when they get to seven figures or whatever else they want and i'm not saying it's an easy process but it's uh totally doable and and i believe everybody that you know ken and you know a lot of seven and eight figure people they either got coached to create that kind of self motivation that limitless self motivation or they innately had it which might be about you know one out of 10,000 or one out of 100,000 people but i right. believe anybody i mean if a, if a if a low self esteem angry resentful introverted don't like people hate sales hate sales people don't tell me what to do completely uncoachable person can transform their mind and their heart anybody can and you're talking about you <laughs> yeah the chicken guy the ch the chicken slaughterer <laughs> so the, the chicken, so you the slaughter, I wrote this book in 1995 and if I'm ever not feeling good about myself yeah I just come, I just come and read the endorsements of a book I wrote my <laughs> mentors endorsed endorsed my, my book let's see the book let's see it hold it up shameless self-motion i love it no that's not so mock two with your hair on fire how to master self-motivation and stay on fire for life wow yeah like i tried to read think and grow rich in the seven habits i just i struggled with them i'm not yeah. stupid but you know i didn't go to whatever class i was supposed to go to and I don't so know. Jen, just, Jen, Jen's back. She she left. She didn't hear you say all those wonderful things about the company she's with. <laughs> ID Life? Yeah. Uh, Paul Sullivan. Paul Sullivan's a lifelong awesome friend of mine. And uh, he might be retired now, but for many years, he was the chief science officer there. And great products, great company. Congratulations, Jennifer. Yeah, she's amazing. So, so for somebody, wow, the, I always ask these two questions. I can't wait to hear your answer. So number one, we, you and I need to be, we need to be better friends now. We need to like, I, I really right. like you, man. So, so, um, for the, um, Look, Jen says, oh, my God, love Paul Sullivan. He's a he's a good, good friend. So so for somebody who. Let me let me ask this a different way. How, 
what do you think the number one thing is? And I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but what do you think the number one thing is that holds people back in life from success and happiness? And I, th I think they are related. Yeah, totally. Uh, their story. I mean, I could make it bigger and fancier and yeah. more scientific and neuroscience and blah, 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 but more philosophical. Yeah. But bottom line is it's their story. And How we do have they a million that? replace it. So one of the fallacies, you know, you might, people might hear it about self-talk, right? So, yep. you know, I, I, I want to do something. Okay. I want to work out. I want to eat right. I want to talk nice to my spouse. I will. I want <laughs> to talk to the next prospect, right? I want these things. And we think that makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is the story that we have that gives us permission yeah. to do it as talking to them. If we, if we need to reinvent our results, our comfort zone about the single daily action, the thing that we need to do, our comfort zone has us do it different. Like if what we need to do is talk nicer to our spouse, our comfort zone is to talk, not talk so nice to our spouse, which might just be to ignore them or, undermine them or, you know, stick our head in the tea or a book or our computer or something, which my wife <laughs> accuses me of doing all the time, right? That's comfortable. <laughs> Uncomfortable is to, is to look her in the eye and say, honey, I love you so much. That's uncomfortable. And so we have a story that sounds like, oh, if I do that, uh, she's going to <laughs> the truth is she's going to think I'm wonderful, but our story is she's going to think I'm weak or silly or want something from her. Right. So that's mm. the story that has our foot nailed to the floor. And some people that's our self-talk. Right. Some people yeah. think that you can tell your self-talk to shut up. Some people think, oh, 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 shut up. Oh, shut up. Oh, let me flick <laughs> you off my shoulder. Uh, I'm sorry, folks, but that doesn't work. Right. But wow. neuroscience does provide us an access. And neuroscience says that the part of us that is powerful, that's the change agent in us, our subconscious mind, our intuition, which is on our in our gut. Right. Yep. Study the gut. It's smarter than the brain. There's more there's more single cell organisms in our gut than there are sands in the oceans of the world. This, our gut is super powerful. It's our intuition, right? It's another brain, our emotions. The part of us that's powerful, here's the neuroscience, uh, cannot hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. Right. You can't think, I have to, you can't think this is going to work out if I'm brave and I make the move, this is going to work out and this isn't going to work out. You can't have that thought at the same time, opposing thoughts. So all you need to do to get rid of the old story is create a new story. And the new story has to be in vivid detail, living color, massive clarity. You know, Tony Robbins is, is famous for saying clarity is power and it is the power to change. It's the detail. And it's the reason movies are so like the model that I use is a movie. You write a film script for a movie. So you're like, if you watch the movie, 
of speaking power into your into your relationship if you hear yourself say it if you feel how you would feel saying it if you see the response in your spouse if you if you hear the ocean in the background if you hear the birds chirping right if you make it in living color like a movie it has yeah. the power to stick and then you just use spaced repetition. Just visualize the new story over and over and over and over again. And as you do, you push the new story into your being and you displace the old story. And you just keep doing that until the new story takes root like a tree and becomes habit. And what's gonna happen is even when you get a little taproot, you're gonna start to see positive results in your relationship. You know, go try it, folks. Go try it at home. Go grab your spouse, look them right in the eye and say, I don't tell you enough, but I love you with every fiber of my being. And notice the results <laughs> that you get, right? And so well, okay, you take that so result and you compound it with the exercise. And that's how we change. And 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 I I one thousand percent agree with you. However, I want to play a little bit of the devil's advocate. Don't you love people that so, say that? Hey, the, without contrarian opinion, there's no possible breakthrough. So, right. If you, agree, so, if you agree with me, Ken, I don't need you, and you don't need me. <laughs> That's right. right. Well, I do agree with you, um, but I still need you in my 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 circle of friends. So, um, but but here's here's the. <clears throat> I, I literally was on a, a show recently where somebody's like, you know, I don't believe in fake it till you make it, blah, blah, blah. But I don't agree with that statement because if I lived the story I was, if I continued living the story I was living, dropping out of high school, became an alcoholic, eventually got into recovery, but, but, and, and still am, but, but, you know, I was headed to death or prison <laughs> probably. Right. So like, I had to change the story. I had to change the story of who I was hanging out with, of who I was, who I was going to become, all of that. What do you say to the people that 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 go you can't like you can't fake this. You can't like just make these things up in your mind. I mean, we're dealing with reality here, folks. <laughs> well, hey, like me, 50% of us graduated at the bottom half of our class. So, no, I don't say that, Joan. What I actually do, Ken, with people that disagree with me is I, I am, I ask them, tell me more about that. How did, how did you come to that conclusion? I'm sincerely interested in learning how people got to their perspective as opposed to trying to make them wrong and then shove mine into them. That doesn't work. Yeah. And what I would say to that concept is, um, my experience is people that hold that concept do not understand human psychology and transformation and they are destined to stay where they're at. And I don't even think that's a bad thing, Ken. I don't think people should be more successful, make more money. I don't even think they should be happier. I don't think they should be healthier. I think those of us that are on a journey that look back on other people and say, well, you should be on this journey too. That's kind of <clears throat> arrogant and obnoxious. I think people should do whatever they want to do, believe whatever they want to believe. And if somebody wants to believe that's just the way I am, 
and it's reality and I'm not going to fake it till I make it. That's okay with me. And I think what they're actually reacting to in a lot of cases are the obnoxious phonies that, you know, their fake it approach, which network marketing is famous for it is, you know, I leased a Maserati and, <laughs> and I sleep in the gas station stall, right? Cause I'm trying to impress people so much that they'll join my business. That's not transformation. I'm talking about self-esteem transformation where we have a story about, you know, at the core, it all comes back down to our worthiness. So if my story is I'm not enough, I'm not wanted, I'm not loved, I'm not worthy, people won't listen to me, right down into I don't matter. The story I want to encourage people to fake until they make is that you matter. And I don't believe that's a fake story. I believe it's an interpretation. And there's a big difference between leasing a Ferrari and sleeping in a gas station and owning a truth where perhaps the story that you're not enough, perhaps the story that that's just the way it is, that that's fake. Wow. Maybe the earth, maybe the earth is not flat <clears throat> like people thought for thousands of years. Maybe it's not even round like we've been thinking for the last 500 years. Maybe it's a trapezoid. <laughs> maybe we'll find that out in 50 years and we'll think, think about all those silly people who thought the earth was round. <laughs> All right, I've lost it. <laughs> a trapezoid. <laughs> okay, I, but I've seen evidence that shows that the Earth is fairly round. But, um, but hey, you may be right. You may be right, and you're entitled to believe anything you would like to believe. <laughs> I, I love that. I so, it's so right. I'm not a conspiracy uh, one last, one, one last question for you. Uh, uh, this has been a phenomenal interview. You're you're awesome. So. So for, um, so I had, my wife and I had just opened our office years ago. Um, I, I had been in business almost two years, had some employees and, um, it's one of the big guys that work for me comes walking in my office and he goes, um, Hey boss, there's some dude out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, so tell him to get the hell out of here. What? Why would just go tell him get out of here? He goes, "Well, he's got it blocked with a tow truck." <laughs> Son of a, that's gonna leave a mark. And and so he was there. You can't. I don't know if you've ever tried to talk a repo guy out of repo in your vehicle. It never worked. They they win. Nope. So so that was a really humiliating bad day. And, and I can remember like thinking this is the worst day of my life. Like I, I, all my employees were getting paid except for me. And, and, you know, um, what about the person that's there? That's, that's maybe lost a vehicle. They're, they don't have a car. They are, their electrics getting shut off tomorrow. They've tried everything, every, I love what Tony Robbins says about that, but, but you know, they've tried everything 
and they just can't figure it out and they call you and say, I, I don't know what to do, what would you say to them? Well, I would talk about what to do. Like I would brainstorm with them some options and there's always things to do. And like everybody I've ever coached in that position, I'm sure you have experienced this too, Ken. It's not that they don't know what to do. It's that they're not willing to do what they do know what to do. And it, yeah. maybe they've tried and it didn't work, right? They could say, well, I've talked to 10 people and they all said no, or, you know, I said beautiful things to my wife and she let right. I, I said really nice things to the tow truck driver and he took my car anyway, right? So their story yeah. may be that I tried those things and they don't work and my coaching would be, well, have you compounded consistency, which that's a concept that I teach about space repetition. And, you know, if you if you take a penny and double it every day, 100% compounding a day, at the end of 30 days, you have $5 million. If you double it every, every, every other day, most people think you have two and a half dollars or two and a half million dollars. Right. But you really have $163.80. Wow. So compounding money is easy to... But compounding consistency is not easy to understand. And so I might teach them on that distinction. Then I would just ask them if they're willing to try again, to do it again. Are they willing to go other 30 days? And that might end up with them being on my game show. I have a <laughs> game show. Did, it, did anybody tell you about that? No, you have a game show? I do. It's a wow. it's a virtual game show and it's and it's private and I only let some clients on it, but I I bring them onto my game show and I say there's three doors door number one door number two door number three, and you get to choose what door you want to win the prize that's on the other side of it, and so what's behind door number one the person who comes to me that you describe. What's behind door number one, I would tell them, is quit. What do I mean by that? Just give up on whatever this is that you want to do, right? Obviously, you've tried it for however long, you've sacrificed, you've spent money, you've embarrassed yourself. Hey, just quit. You're obviously not cut out for it. Wasn't meant to be, right? It's not in the stars. God didn't line it up for you. I don't know. I'm sorry. Not everybody gets to be super successful because who's going to mow my lawn, right? So just quit. There's no shame in it. Actually, the shame, the shame is in you continuing to raise your hand and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and then you don't ever do anything, right? That's an integrity stench. So you could actually have a breakthrough and be a huge contribution to everything, Quit trying to do whatever you're trying to do and just go do something else that you're made for, right? We all, I think, have some sort of gift. You, you didn't find yours here. Go there. Go quit. It's okay. I'll celebrate. I'll send you a blue ribbon for quitting. And you'll actually be a great inspiration for all the other people that just need to quit. That's behind door number one. So, Ken, if I describe door number one to you, what are you likely to say about your wanting to open door number one and go through that? I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, pe what people do is, no, 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 oh. no, I can't. 
quit. I can't quit. I can't quit. Okay, well, here's what's behind door number two. Perhaps you'll like door number two. In fact, my intuition tells me you're going to love door number two. What's behind door number two? Continue to suffer. Suffering. What is that about? Well, you keep wanting and declaring that you're going to do something and you don't do it. So you're suffering. You're embarrassed because people look around and go, oh, there they are again, struggling. They say they're going to do this, but they don't ever do it. Struggle, struggle. And they say, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, all about try, right? No such yeah. thing, right? So that's what's behind door number two is struggle. And I think it's a good door for you because I'm looking at your track record for the last two years and you obviously love that. So do that. Just keep struggling, which, by the way, I don't coach people that go behind door number two and close it behind them. Uh, and then what's behind door number three? Shut up and do what you say you're going to do. Just do it. Mm. Go, oh, well, if I gave you $1,000 to do it today, could you do it? Yeah. So if you if I, oh, you say, well, I don't have a 10000 Right. If I gave you $10,000 to talk nice to your spouse today, would you do it? Sure. Okay. Then you can do it. Everything else is cheese whining. <laughs> you want some, want some wine with your cheese? Right. Everything else is actually door number two. Right. So it's show time. And you probably got, Ken, I'm, you know, when people interview me and I'm the star, because I'm, I'm always interviewing people, I'm rarely interviewed. I love um, this. I'm so full of myself today because you're interviewing me that I'm kind of rambunctious and I coach in the feeling that the client can hear and some yeah. clients can hear my rambunctious in your face style and some clients I just need to cozy up to and whisper in their ear how much I love them and everything's going to be okay and what do you think about quitting? Okay. Well, I know you don't want to suffer anymore. So how about let's do it one syllable at a time. I'll do it with you. Say that, honey, honey, I, I love you. Say it again. Honey, I love you. Oh, my God. Baby steps. Whatever it takes. One of my mentors told me at the in the bathroom once I'd come out of a boardroom session with him where I was especially obnoxious and pig-headed and arrogant and dogmatic. <laughs> and we're standing at the urinals, urinal next to each other. And he was from Chickasha, Oklahoma. And he said, you know what you need, Brooke? And I go, oh, here we go. More cornball <laughs> philosophy. I said, no, Johnny, tell me what do I what do I need? He said, you need to be like a crescent wrench. <laughs> I knew I was already in, right? So I can't back out now. I gotta I gotta swallow the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. And I said, All right, Johnny, why do I need to be like a crescent wrench? And he said, So you can fit every nut you run into. <laughs> Pretty good advice, right? So even though oh I stay on your show, oh. I have learned to be a crescent wrench and a chameleon oh. and adapt to my client. <laughs>
That Although is, I prefer it allows me to be rambunctious. I, 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 you know that. I mean, I coach too, and I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a very good crescent wrench. <laughs> I'm more of a. Are you freaking kidding me with your bullshit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you gotta be joking right now get a right. job oh right. you can't I used, eat i used to have a uh an app on my phone that i used ken that had one of those <laughs> and every time somebody fed me some bs i just pushed the button right. <laughs> dude I, I i i love your energy i love what you're saying i everything i'm gonna replay this energy. i don't watch my rewatch i don't replay my interviews hardly ever this has been absolutely phenomenal i how i've got your website scrolling across the bottom is there a um place where you're most active on social media i go live on uh my business facebook page every day seven days okay. a week for 10, 10 to 20 minutes. So it's not a snippet. It's like yeah. a workout listen to. And that yeah. is Richard Brook. Uh, and it, and you got to set your notifications or you'll miss me because yeah, I go at about 9.30 Pacific time, 6.30 Hawaii time. About meaning whenever I feel like it in the morning. Wow. So it's, not I, I, it's Richard Daily Dose of Salt. Everybody needs to go look at your website and look at some of the people who um, endorse you, too. Uh, I don't know, little guy named John Elway, Dennis Waitley, Harvey McKay, Rita Davenport, Bob Proctor, Brian Tracy. Like, dude, wow. Like, Everybody go follow Richard Brooke on Facebook, go to his website, buy every single thing that he's selling. Um, <laughs> like, and if you don't buy his stuff, then unfriend me right now and don't ever follow me again. Thank I'm you, Dan. You're a, you're a, um, a ge very generous um, host and May I take this in, uh, opportunity to invite you to let me interview you? Because <laughs> until Mark Victor Hansen introduced us, we didn't know each other, right? We didn't. I was looking at your website before I went, uh, eh. <laughs> how come I don't know those people? <laughs> Yeah, right, right. You know, you know people way more people than I do. But I, dude, I, I think I, I love everything that you're talking about. I, 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 you know, I've, I've never really been. I, I dabbled in network marketing a long time ago. I've always owned businesses. Um, but I, I, you know, I know a lot. Like Ray Higdon's a friend of mine, and you know, I've, I've met, um, Eric Worre. I, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people in, in the, in the industry. And, um, in fact, you, I, I'm a, a new client of mine. Um, I'm sure that, you know, is, um, Larry Thompson and, and Taylor Thompson. Um, I know that so, all, all very well. And they're all yeah. friends and stellar, stellar people and network Amazing. marketing. Is, I mean, it, it's got to be the hardest 
entrepreneurial profession on the planet because imagine yeah. selling something that everyone has already decided they don't want. <laughs> yeah. And which is, which is it, it absolutely is mind blowing to me because like you, you, um, like, I, I don't I mean, all you have to do is go in and follow the formula and do the work. Like if yeah. you do the work, if you're just, a, a I, I don't want to um, say this the wrong way, but let me just say it. If you're a complete idiot <laughs> and, and you just do the law of averages, the law of averages eventually work out. <laughs> they do. And, you know, he said, me, me. You may, I mean, you may have low self, you may have low self esteem, and you may not be very motivated, or have any time, or have any money, or know anybody, or be entrepreneurial. You may be none of those things. All you have to do is sponsor somebody who is <laughs> right. That's it. That, it that is, is true. It is yeah. hard. It is hard, and all the people that you mentioned are what they are rock stars of, Ken, is transformation, personal transformation, because to be a successful network marketer, you got to be 10 foot tall and bulletproof because everybody's already decided they don't want to do what you're asking them to do. And what you have to be so resilient and so convicted about and, and such a good listener of people is you have to you have to play a different sales game where what happens because I said absolutely not. And Larry Thompson said, absolutely not. And Eric Worre said, absolutely not. And uh, Jennifer probably said, absolutely not. Ray she Higgins did. said, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah, but then we learn something and we go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Oh, right. wow, you know? And really what it boils down to is when you understand the payoffs if you're willing to walk through the fire for a couple of years, I don't know anything where you can build it once for 500 bucks an hour or two a day and five years later, later get paid for three or four generations of family. You get paid forever if you pick the right product. So it's, it's, a, it's amazing. It's a tough road, but the payoffs are pretty significant if you're one out of a million. <laughs> yeah. Enough of Dude, network marketing. I, I, I listen, Richard, I, I am so, so grateful that you took the time. I would be honored to be interviewed by you. Um, I'm very grateful you took the time to come on today and, and you laid down some wisdom and I'm telling you, I, you can't, well, you can see the comments. There's a comment tab over there. Um, oh, if you, at the top, there's private chat and, and, public comments, but there's a lot of comments. Um, and I got to tell you, man, you've inspired some people. I guarantee you, you've picked up some new followers. So um, <laughs> thank you. Now, I don't know if they're going to be great followers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Jen, they're, your followers. they're the right people, Ken. Jen, Jen is awesome. I, there's a lot of people on here that are amazing. So um, listen, I, and Kim says, was it Richard Bliss Brook daily dose of salt, right? Yes. Yeah. Richard, if you just go to Richard Brook, that's my personal page. Don't do that. Cause all I do is take pictures of my food. Um, go to my business page <laughs> and put yeah. bliss in there and go to my business page and it's daily dose of salt. There's about 
200 episodes. I've been doing it every day since the first of March. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And it's not about well, Richard, marketing. It's about life. Life. That's awesome. I'm going to go follow that as soon as we're done here. So I'm going to end the live stream. If you would stay with me so I can wrap this up and then I'd like to chat with you real quick. So um, thank you to you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your, your story. It's absolutely mind blowing. So thank you. Really appreciate Thanks. it. We'll see you guys later. Thank you. And everybody that did not share this out, please go ahead and share this out so the whole world can learn more about Richard. Have a great day. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.